Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. It's an interesting prayer to pray, isn't it? Crush me and press me and make new wine out of me. And hopefully today I'll be able to share why this is so important for us, why the crushing and the pressing and the squeezing um, is so important for our lives. My name's Sean. Welcome to everybody. Welcome to everybody online. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Um, And if you're watching during the week, um, I hope you um, can hear from God. Um, I don't know that I know all of you. As I said, my name's Sean. I'm a part of the team here. Um, This is actually my first time sharing um, in this live setting. Um, So I'm a little bit excited and I feel very privileged to be able to bring the Word of God. Um, We have such an amazing, amazing God and, um, you know, often we think we're holding on to Him. But, um, you know, we always let go and thankfully He's holding on to us um, through it all, through it all. I used to work in a winery in the Brosser Valley in Adelaide. I, um, I managed a small family-owned winery there for many years. And I kind of watched the process of grapes being grown all year round. They, there would be a, a, a vine dresser, or just, you know, either the guy in the tractor, um, and he would go and he would, you know, get his gang and the pruning, and he would do all these sorts of things. He would take care of the grapes. Uh, he would protect the grapes, he would spray them, they would um, like light small bonfires throughout the vineyards uh, during the cold months uh, to protect from mildew or mould and this was kind of the process all year round and you know every now and again when it was sort of getting close to harvest the winemaker would sort of come out of his lab, it's the only time he ever came out of his lab um, and he would come and he would take some, some grapes and he would crush them and he would test the bome levels which is just the sugar levels so he knew the, uh, the balance of alcohol content and flavour. So if, if it was too, if the bone marrow levels were too high, then uh, it, the alcohol content and the, the flavour would overpower the, um, the flavour of the wine. And so when the grape was at its very, very best on the vine, the harvesters would come and they would pull the grapes from the vine and then they would be put into a crusher. Now, the crusher was a massive machine and they would tip truckloads of, of grapes into the crusher at once. It would split the skin and, and sort of just release the juice, that, in, that initial, because they were just bursting and ready. And that wasn't enough, though, to extra- extract all the juice. Then they had to go into a press and when they went into the press, every last drop of juice was extracted from the grape. All you were left with literally was just dried grape skins and, um, and seeds. But that's the process of making new wine. We can't have new wine without going through that process. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. Fresh out of business school, a young man answered uh, a want ad for a job uh, to be an accountant. He was fresh out of school. 
And he's being interviewed by a nervous man who ran a small business that he had started on his own. I need someone with an accounting degree, uh, the man said. But mainly I'm looking for somebody to do my worrying for me. I worry about a lot of things and I don't want to have to worry about money. I want someone who will take all the, the money worries off my back. I see, the accountant said, how much does the job pay? Well, I'll start you at 80000 the man said. $80,000? He said in excitement. How can such a small business afford a sum like this? Well, that, the owner said, is your first worry. <laughs> you know, God has set us apart from a life of worry. He has called us to be free from living a life of worry and... He doesn't want us going there, and yet we do over and over and over again. And we even make light of it. You know, we just tell little jokes about it, and, you know, we say things like worry warts and things like that. But, you know, worry is incredibly destructive to our lives. It has the potential to steal our, steal our joy. It kills our faith, and it really has the potential to destroy our lives. Um... I'm going to be talking about overcoming worry as we continue in this series, but you know, the Word of God is alive and it's active and it's actively pursuing each one of us, even when we run away into the distance. And it's not there just to give you an answer to a problem. It's, it's there to be with you even when you don't have the answer to your problem. His peace comes and He wants us to live a life of peace. It's been said that the Bible is a manual for life, and that's very true. It is. It gives us direction amongst many other things. But the Bible's a person. The Bible is Emmanuel, God with us, and his name is Jesus. And he is not just here for our life. He is our life. He's our very life. He's our lifeblood. It was really great to be singing that song this morning, um, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. I haven't heard it for a long time. But um, he is our lifeline. He's our very source. Do we believe that today? Do we believe that he is a living and active word, that he is our life? He's the word made flesh. And like, if we're honest, this actually becomes nothing more than a history book, a good history book, unless we see Jesus in it. There's no, you know, there's no words that actually really describe him um, to a T, and yet his word comes closest to paint an absolute amazing picture of who he is, and it's really beyond comprehension, but he simplifies it for us so that our hearts can respond to him, because who knows, like we're, we're pretty simple people, but he, he simplifies. And he describes himself in one way, and he says, I am love. That's how he describes himself. God is love. He gives of himself the very attribute that all mankind pursues. We all need love. And he gives it as a gift. He doesn't expect anything in return. And sometimes we view it as like in some sort of investment that he does expect a return on, on his gift or we view it as a, 
as a debt or a loan um, that he's expecting interest, but he wants us to receive it freely um, as sons and daughters rather than slaves and performers. I'm just going to grab my drink here. <laughs> Is everyone well this morning? Happy Father's Day, by the way. Mm-mm. Fathers are amazing. So I'm going to be sharing from a, the topic of overcoming worry, and we're going to look, be looking at God's priorities. God's priorities. So if you want to turn with me to John 16, verse 33. Oh, I've got a little gizmo. Hey, there we go. And, you know, honestly, I, I believe that we might all agree in some way that, um, that God's greatest priority for you and I is that we would know without a shadow of doubt that we're loved unconditionally by him. It's probably his greatest priority. And I'd love to just sit in that over. I think we could preach that message 10,000 different ways and never get bored of it. He loves us. And I believe with all my heart that's his greatest priority. But I want to look at it from a, just a slightly different aspect this morning. Flowing on from kind of what Paul talked about last week, um, I had prepared it in advance, although it might seem that I just am copying his message, so sorry, Pastor Paul. Um, But as we continue to look at this truth, overcoming worry and being free from a life of worry, two priorities that God has for us. Now, we've heard that God wants us to make him a priority for our lives, that he you know, he wants us to read the word and he wants us to pray and give any, and he wants us to make him first priority in our life. And while this is true, I want to kind of look at it from the perspective of what God prioritizes in his life, what he puts first. So, John sixteen thirty three says, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. The definition for worry, this is the definition we use in our discipleship that we're currently doing here. Worry is being preoccupied with anything other than the present moment, and it comes with a sense of impending danger. So worry is being preoccupied with anything other than the present moment, and it comes with a sense of impending danger. So worry takes us from the moment. God's called us to live a life moment by moment with him and worry takes us from the moment. It takes us into the past where we, we become concerned and depression can result from that or it takes us into the future and anxiety is produced and we freak out um, and, and it really does have the potential to do a lot of damage. Worry is being preoccupied with anything other than the present moment. And it comes with a sense of impending danger. So what are God's priorities? How does living out of God's priorities help us to live a life of overcoming worry? So firstly, God's priority is that you would have peace. Peace. (laughs) Jesus says, I've told you all this so that your peace will be in me. Not in the world or anything that the world has to offer, 
but in me. These things I have said. Now you can read all these things that Jesus said from chapter 13 in the book of John when Jesus begins to wash his disciples' feet. He has an incredible intimate conversation with his disciples at the table just before the Passover and he gives them some incredible spiritual insight about the things that are going to take place um, as he would make his way toward the cross. And then almost four chapters later, he comes to this place and he says, I've given you all of this spiritual insight so that you would have peace in me and not in the world. God gives us spiritual insight. He gives us spiritual insight to the things um, that are pertaining to the future. So we might use the word revelation. Um, He gives us revelation um, for the future. And peace here means an inner tranquility or rest. So peace, I mean, defined as the absence of trouble and the absence of war. Yet this is the great tension that we live in because we live in a world where circumstances and situations around us are. We feel at war at times and often in our own mind, but we're able to have peace because Jesus is our peace and he lives in us even whilst there's a war going on around us. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And Jesus goes on to say, in this world you have tribulation. And as Pastor Paul mentioned last week, we're talking about an inner peace, an inner peace that can't be shaken. We're, we often are shaken, but we're mostly shaken when worry comes, when we lose our sense of peace in him and our trust in him. And we can honestly be in incredibly painful and debilitating situations and, um, and still have inner peace and rest. Don't worry, I... I've given you all of this insight. Remember, all this insight so that when the trouble comes, you'll be aware. You'll be aware of this and you'll be at peace. And that's not in denial. That's not in denial of situations or circumstances. But we can have peace in the middle of it. Two weeks before my brother, uh, Jamie, died, I think I shared maybe a couple of weeks or maybe a month ago or so. Um, My brother passed away in May last year. And two weeks before that, I started to read and meditate on, um, on a few thoughts that honestly didn't make a lot of sense at the time as far as like the practical sort of application for my life. I was reading about eternity once we've passed and I was thinking on the truth that God's given each of us a set time to live. And when that time is up, I mean, in the blink of an eye, it's up. It doesn't matter how it happens. But that time is up. God's not taken by surprise by that. He's actually, um, you know, he's ordained every single breath that we take. And when that time's up, that time's up. We don't actually breathe without him giving the say-so. He's sovereign over every breath that we breathe. And so when I found out that my brother passed... There was pain and there was anguish and there was all sorts of emotion that went with it. But there was a peace as all of those insights began to wash over my soul. And they just washed me and washed me for weeks and weeks and weeks. I didn't deny them. I didn't deny the human emotion. But there was peace as the insights washed over. 
I knew that I knew that I knew that I was going to get through it, that I was going to make it out the other side. I knew where he was, that his time was up, and that Jesus had taken him into eternity. The Father had given me insight, revelation, for an event that was about to take place. Now, I didn't know the event was coming. No idea. I just had to trust in his word. And I'm sure many of us here today or watching online can relate to very, very similar experiences where God prepares us with his peace through his word. He prepares us for events that have the potential to absolutely unhinge us and take our legs out from under us, to knock us completely over, but it's because of his peace. I've told you all of these things so that you might have peace when the trouble comes. Some of us just actually are still standing here this morning because he prepared you. Because if he didn't prepare you, then you wouldn't be here this morning. It's, it's amazing the way that he speaks revelation and gives us spiritual insight. And it's important that we recognize the preparation when the event comes because it's the awareness that brings peace and gives us peace. The Holy Spirit brings to mind the things that he's spoken to us and he, he brings to mind those things continually as we come to him moment by moment. As I said, worry takes us from the present moment into our past or our future and it takes our attention off of Jesus and it injects fear into our heart. And so we easily spiral into despair, depression or anxiety or we turn to people or things to cope. We do that a lot. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Romans 10.17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight, or we live by faith and not by sight, which means that the word of God, Jesus, the word made flesh, produces faith, which gives us peace. He tells us, thing in prep, tells us things in preparation. He speaks into our future. He speaks prophetically into our future, and he brings revelation and insight and is constantly preparing us. We've heard the saying, seeing is believing. Well, for believers, this is backwards. It's upside down. We, um, we live by faith and not by sight, so not seeing is believing. Amen? We're not letting situations and circumstances dictate our lives. We're letting him be our life. And worry comes when we take our eyes off of Jesus, the unseen, the eternal. When we stop living... When we stop living out of him, out of that spiritual insight, all we see is the world. That's all we see. We see the momentary trouble. We see the circumstances around us, the temporary. We lose our peace. We worry. Worry is a symptom of the flesh. It's, it comes from a root of unbelief. We simply move from the moment. And God's called us to live a life moment by moment. Moment by moment. 
Now, this isn't some special thing. Sometimes we can think that revelation is some sort of special thing um, that some Christians get, the more spiritual ones, I guess, um, which, I mean, isn't even a thing. Um, But he speaks to all of us. We're all his children, and he speaks to all of us. He prepares all of us for the future. He gives us all revelation, all insight. He invites us all to listen and wait on him and look to him and talk with him and meditate on him and fix our eyes on him. In fact, the the Apostle Paul would say constantly, like, pray without ceasing or pray continually or pray always. So he wasn't calling us to just always, you know, bow our head and, you know, close our eyes. That would be a weird life to live. But he was calling us into a continual dialogue, a moment-by-moment relationship, step-by-step continually communing with the Father. Philippians 4, 8 and 9 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honourable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, if there is anything excellent, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Those things sound like Jesus And so we set our face like flint and we look to him. We commune with him. This is how we overcome worry. He's the Prince of Peace. And surely if we look long enough at the Prince of Peace, that's going to rub off some way on us. He's the Prince of Peace. Now Paul also writes in Philippians 4.7 after he says pray always, you know, don't be anxious for anything, but with everything pray. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is God's priority because it guards our heart. It guards our heart from worry and fear. And this is important because against popular belief, God's priority is not your comfort. It's not my comfort. He's not um, putting that as his first priority. His first priority here is his peace. The single most profound statement in the Bible to me, just to me, are three words that Jesus spoke on the cross. And he said, it is finished. And the reason they mean so much to me and affect me the way they do is because it gives me spiritual hindsight. He's given me spiritual hindsight for my life. It is finished. He's told me the end from the beginning. And in John 16:33, which we read, it says in this world you will you will have tribulation, but take courage or take heart or don't worry. I've overcome the world. Jesus gives us spiritual hindsight so that we won't worry, so that we will hold on, so that we will have hope to walk through whatever it is that we're going to walk through. Just a side note, the next chapter in John 17 and verse 15, Jesus prays to the Father. So he spends about, I I think it's the whole of uh, chapter 17, praying to the Father. He prays for his disciples and he prays for us as believers and he prays for those that uh, will come to believe. And he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect protect them from the evil one. Now, the word evil one, ready for a Greek lesson? I love Greek words, I tell you. 
So the word evil one is the Greek word ponyeros, and it's describing the influence of the world, the influence of the world. And so he's saying, Father, don't take them out of the world, but help them to live in the world, not be influenced by it, not of the world, because I've already overcome the world. In the world, the world we live in, we can all relate to it, you have tribulation. Another Greek word, the Greek word tribulation here is the word thalipsis. And this is a bit depressing, I'll be honest. It means to crush, to press, to squeeze, to break, to pressurize and afflict, to distress, to trouble, agitation, anguish, and the list goes on. It's, it's quite a long list of what this actual word means in the Greek. So Jesus says you will have, which means not if, but when, trouble's coming. And then he says, but I have, meaning don't worry. I've overcome that. It's a past tense statement. I have overcome. It's spiritual, insight, it's spiritual hindsight. He's given us hindsight. Every moment we live, he knows. He knows everything we're going to go through. And yet, he allows us to go through all of these things. Why? Because we're being emptied. We're slowly being emptied through our life as we walk through our life. We're being emptied of pride, and we're being emptied of self, and we're being emptied of unbelief, and our kingdoms are falling All the things that we've built over our lifetime, those things are falling. He's allowing those things to fall for the purpose that his spirit might lead and permeate every single part of our lives. He has called, he is our life. He's not just a part of it. He is our very life. He wants us to learn to abide moment by moment, to stay in the moment with him, and so that he would be our life. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you wish to actually see it, this is a journey in itself because this emptying happens through troubles and through suffering and through pain and through brokenness. It's these things that produce an emptiness. It's those things that bring us to our knees where we lift up and we surrender and we say, God, only you, only you know. We're constantly being allowed to enter situations that cause us to deny ourselves and to throw ourselves on the mercy of God, on the grace of God, on, you know, where all we have to hold on to is, God, you love me. That's it. Now, we're being allowed to do this because he wants us to be our comforter, and he says that I am your comforter. So he takes us from comfort so that he would be our comfort and we wouldn't find it in the world. So here's the part where I ask if you want to know Jesus. <laughs> Do you want to know him? Because often we present something a little different that Jesus will bless us. And he does all those things. But the life of a believer is one of being emptied of self 
because he doesn't want any part of me in his kingdom. And so our journey is to the end of ourself. He's beautiful. He is absolutely beautiful. So God the Father, he loves us so much. So, so much. And so allows things to happen. You might have heard the statement being thrown around lately that what he can permit in his power, sorry, what he can, oh, what he can prevent in his power, he permits in his wisdom. He doesn't make comfort my priority because he wants me to see him as the comforter. And you see, when trouble comes, we kind of have two options. We can turn to God for comfort, to comfort us, or we turn to things, people, uh, coping mechanisms, idols, all these things that give us some sort of instant relief, uh, instant gratification. See, an idol is anything that we run to, trust in, or rely on other than Jesus when we're under stress or pressure. And so when troubles come, we have a choice. We either run to him and we run into the heart of God or we run away from him. And so all too often we do, we run to our idols when we face trouble and pain and suffering and loss. And instead of living from spiritual insight and in spiritual hindsight, and letting the trouble be a river of life to the heart of God, we, we look to other things. And so he lets us go through another struggle, another trouble, another pain, another loss, another suffering, because intimacy with God is his high call on our life. He's called us to intimacy. That's his main purpose. You know, I've, I've, I think I've said before, you know, he loves people, more than rules. His high call for us is to be intimate with him. To be intimate with him. He didn't pay the price he paid so you could be here on Sunday. <laughs> That's not, that wasn't the reason he died. He didn't, he didn't die so you could be successful. He died so that he would be your life so that he would be your everything, that you would throw yourself on his mercy because he loves you so much. I find it very hard to get out of the love of God because the love of God is everything to us. We really don't need anything but that, honestly. And so we come to him not just in our strengths, but we come to him in our weakness. We don't just come in our success, but we come in our failure because he loves us. Now, when I say that he allows us to go through things, it is simply that. I don't want to suggest in any way that, um, that God creates situations to teach us some sort of lesson. I don't, don't believe that at all. But we live in a world where bad things happen as a result of the fall. And so we do some pretty silly things to ourselves, and we do some pretty silly things to others. And that gets us into trouble. And others do some pretty silly things to us. And they do some pretty silly things to themselves. 
which gets them into trouble. So trouble is the result of the fall. It's not something God's creating to teach us. It's the result of the wrong choice. And although we might make the right choice today, we're susceptible to make the wrong choice tomorrow. And others are susceptible to make the wrong choice in their life, which has an effect on us as well. So he uses those things. And it says that he turns those things around for the good of those who love him. But he gives it to us straight. He says, you will have tribulation. You will be pressed, you will be crushed, you will be perplexed, you will be confused, you will be agitated and frustrated, you will be distraught. And he says, Father, don't take them out. (laughs) Don't take them out of that. Keep them in it. Don't take them out of the storm. And I'm not sure if you've heard the saying, but although he might not take us out of the storm, he teaches us to dance in the rain. That's what he does. We can go through it. Romans 5 Verse 3 to 5 says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So trials strengthen our confident hope of salvation. They do this because through trials and through problems, we learn to lean on the comforter. Our trust deepens as the relationship grows. We stop looking to ourselves and to others to save us. We decrease in self-importance and self-reliance and we become more aware of our weakness, our inability to produce any kind of fruit or peace or any kind of authentic rest. We're being emptied of self and pride and at the same time, Jesus is increasing in our lives. We become God-reliant. We become aware of his strength, his goodness. That he's the only one with any ability to produce any kind of authentic peace in my life. Peace that can't be explained or manufactured. It's true rest, a confident belief, a confident hope of salvation because we have a confident hope in our Savior, our Savior. We have a God who is for us. Emmanuel, he is with us, in us. He goes before us, beside us, and he's all around us. He is our life. But God tells us, my priority, Sean, my priority for you is not your comfort. You will have troubles, but take heart. Don't worry, I've overcome the world. I don't have a lot of application, what, I would, what you would call application, but just an encouragement that he's always close to us. Always close to us, but are we aware of it? In the midst of trouble, are we aware that he's sovereign, in control, that he has our best interest at heart? In our confusion, are we aware that he's a good, good father and that his love endures forever, that he never leaves us or forsakes us? And in our brokenness, are we aware that he is closer than a brother, 
that he is a wonderful counselor, that he is a comforter, that he is the only true good thing in this world. We live in spiritual hindsight because we know who wins. He's told us. We know who's victorious. We know from the word of God that our troubles are only momentary, that they're just blink of an eye. And as we sang this morning, he's making new wine. He's turning all things around for good. So how do we overcome worry? Well, we actively believe that he's overcome the world. He has overcome the world, that it truly is finished as he said it was, as he says it is. And we fix our eyes on Jesus, the unseen, the author of our faith, the perfecter of our faith, the eternal God, and not on the world. We live in a time zone, which is eternity for us, but that's our time zone. We're living from a place of eternity. And in this place, God gets all the glory because he doesn't want us to have our kingdom. He, it's his kingdom, it's not ours. And so we trust. We trust him to empty us. It sounds morbid, but we trust him to empty us as we let go of our kingdoms. The me, myself, and I life. We let go of control. And that's hard. But it's possible. It's possible through trials, struggles, all these things. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 and 9, and then verse 16 and 18 say this. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we, look, while, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We're being emptied, crushed, pressed. Would we run to him or would we run away from him? Would you let him fill you in your struggle? Although we struggle, we're being renewed day by day. Although we're being emptied, we're being filled moment by moment. New wine. I don't know if you can relate to being at your best. You know, there's times in our lives where we just feel like we're just on top of the world. Everything's going so well. We're at our best. And then something comes and hits us. That happens because the best is always yet to come. It's always yet to come. We're always living in a place where he's creating, producing new wine.
Jesus' words give us great hope and they show us two important things. He gives us spiritual insight for the purpose of peace and he gives us spiritual hindsight for the purpose of hope. He says, I'm sharing all these spiritual insights with you so that you will have peace in me. And then he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. Don't worry, I've already won. And he invites us into a life of spiritual hindsight to live from the finish line. We start where he finished. Church, I mean, I'm preaching to myself, to be honest. I'll be, yeah, I'm preaching to my own heart right now, I tell you. But let's fix our eyes on him through it all, whatever we come up against. I'm not just talking about the coronavirus. The, the, the thing with this coronavirus is there's, we have the coronavirus, but then we have all the things <laughs> that are happening in the, in the middle of all of that, all the trouble, all the struggle that's happening in the middle of it. But we know who wins. Jesus is victorious. We don't have to try and you know, stand tall and puff our chest out like a hormonal male pigeon. I don't know where that came from. That was the Holy Spirit. It's not in my notes. <laughs> We don't have to try and do that. We come to him in our struggle. We come to him in our weakness, in our pain, whatever or however that looks. All you who are weary, are you weary? I'm weary. We allow trouble to drive us into the arms of Father and we nestle on his chest. Just picture that for a moment. It's nestling into the to the chest of God we allow him to hold us close we believe in him we trust in him we put our hope in him we rest in him he's already overcome the world and it's this spiritual hindsight that prevents us from living a life of worry he's overcome we just need to come I shared earlier that I had a peace when my brother passed honestly I couldn't explain it you know, that day changed my whole life. But I had to make a choice when the tragedy hit. A choice not to deny the human emotion and live in some sort of denial or praise the Lord. He's, we don't deny those things. I had to ride the wave of emotion as it came. But I was able to feel it with spiritual insight knowing that he had prepared me, that there was a peace that I could hold on to. And this peace guarded my heart through it all. And then I had to make another choice. I had to choose to believe in the finished work of Christ. Every moment, honestly, sometimes it was, you know, minute by minute, actively, you finished, you said it is finished, you said it is finished. And this allowed me to live from spiritual hindsight. And he was able to rule my heart through that. The Valley of Dry Bones. Do we know, all know that story? Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. It's a very morbid story. <laughs> it was a desolate place, a place of great tragedy. The Israelites had gone into Babylon and lost their identity and didn't know who they were anymore. They didn't know who their God was anymore. 
And the Lord came to Ezekiel and said, Son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel responded interestingly. He didn't say yes. He said, Lord, only you know. Only you know what good can come from this. It was a statement of humility. It was a reliance on God and a trusting in his word to come through. Only you know what life can come from this valley of death. And we know that a vast and living army rose up and life come as the word of God was trusted in and relied on and spoken. If you've ever seen a planned burn in an area that's uh, prone to bushfires, they leave an incredibly charred and desolate landscape. It's a nightmare. But it's from the ashes that beauty comes, that new shoots, new fresh shoots, green shoots. Beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. He's emptying us. He's making new wine. Romans 8.31 says, In response to suffering, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then a little bit little bit further on it says no trials or tribulations no crushing or pressing no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us if the band wants to come up that would be great God prioritizes his peace over our comfort And he asks us to simply put our trust in him moment by moment and to rest in his finished work. We're going to sing a song. And it's called It Is Well. Now there's the old hymn. This is a bit of a newer version. I love the old one. I didn't actually know this one was around. Um, But there's a lyric, uh, what you would call the bridge, I guess. And it says this. So let go, my soul, and trust in him. The waves and the wind still know his name. And I woke up last night about two o'clock. And the weirdest scripture was on my mind. It was First Samuel, and it was chapter 30, verse 1. And it was where David believed that he was going to be stoned. And it says that he encouraged himself in the Lord. And... I just want to encourage you this morning that sometimes you're going to have to preach to yourself. Sometimes you're going to have to encourage yourself and not wait till Sunday. Sometimes you need to just preach life to yourself. Tell yourself, God, it is finished. It is done. It is well with my soul. Would you stand with me? And let's sing.